The New Testament talks in several areas about how the believer's old self has died with Christ, and at the moment of salvation, they have been made a new creation. Well, last I checked, as a believer, my heart never stopped beating. So what is this new creation exactly, and how does it tie the Old Testament and the New Testament together? Join us today as we study the new creation in Colossians. Know the Word is a McGregor podcast that offers a relevant and refreshing focus on understanding and applying God's Word to your life. We'll discuss life-changing truths of biblical faith that comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. I'm your host, Nathan Bottomley, and joining me today is Jonathan Bowman. Join us as we open the Bible so we can know the Word. Well, we've spent the last four episodes talking about illusions. And we learned in episode one what an illusion is, and then we spent some time talking through four different illusions that Paul made in Colossians to the Old Testament. And today we're talking about this illusion, this motif of creation that we can find in Colossians. So, Bowman, I hear hear that there are about three places in Colossians that allude to creation. Well, where are they and what are they about? Right. So, um, yeah. So Christ is, of course, is really is uh, the new creation to be found in Christ, um, most specifically through through his resurrection. So that, that would be in first uh, Colossians chapter one, 15 through 15 to 23. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, by him, all things are created in heaven and earth, visible and is invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So we see that, um, you know, the firstborn of all creation, that, of course, does mean that he is preeminent existing prior to creation. But it also has something to do, I think, in the context of Colossians, for sure, with with the resurrection. Um, uh, Colossians 2.20, if you... If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So, and then he contrasts through that death of Christ's work, um, we die to sin just like Christ died on the cross to, again, to his new creation. Um, Chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above uh, where Christ is seated. So you have this uh, dying and raised and then, um, you know, again, put on uh, of, so you have this dying with Christ, being raised with Christ. And then probably that works itself out most specifically in chapter 3, verse um, verse 10. Uh, put on the new self, which is being renewed, <clears throat> excuse me, in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, you know, there are, there's this old way of living, there's this old uh, nature that you have, this old way of approaching um, God, possibly through, depending on how you look at it, through law and regulation. But Christ has accomplished uh, fully, that goes back to that first theme, fully, everything he needed to accomplish to fulfill the law on the cross. And then through his resurrection, he's begun this new age, this new uh, creation, this new life. And um, we are in him, through him, able to put on a new self and live in a different uh, God-honoring uh, relationship with God type of way. So those would be the the sort of uh, main 
verses, I suppose. In Colossians. Yep, in Colossians anyway. So when Paul is writing Colossians, uh, where in the Old Testament are these allusions based? What is he referring to as he writes? Now, I think we say creation and we think Genesis. Yeah, so, I mean, here he's a allusion isn't necessarily like a group of words um, like it might be in, in the first segment. Uh, we talked about the fullness of Christ. But here, um, it's more of a motif type thing where you look at, oh, uh, what's going on in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, of course, we see that in the beginning, God makes everything. Um, I, you know, I, I tend to believe that seven-day week alludes as well to uh, a temple inauguration event but at any rate the old testament makes clear that uh god creates everything that uh the heavens are his temple the earth of his footstool earth is his footstool and then he puts us in there as his image right he puts us as the image of the temple which ancient near eastern people would have understand they were well acquainted with uh temples that had images of gods in them so so we see this that uh, we're not a very good image <laughs> you know we disobey the lord and as such we're not able to image him uh, due to our, our sin nature, we're not able to portray him or accomplish his work in the world around us. But the Old Testament looks forward to a time where God will dwell with us fully, uh, where, um, you know, um, where his spirit will be poured out on everybody, in, you know, different passages in Joel and, and Isaiah, um, where this new age, this new time uh, will, will come. You know, and that's what the Jewish people were looking for was uh, Messiah to come and, and begin this new uh, spirit-filled age um, where, uh, I guess as Jesus puts it in the, in the prayer, where um, God's will will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. You know, but we see that ultimately we're able to do that because of the death of sin through the cross and then the resurrection and new life through Christ, who's the firstborn of all creation. So... So yeah, it's more of a motif that sort of it ties the Old Testament. Here's what God promised to do uh, to fix creation, and then we see that He's done that uh, through Jesus Christ. Gotcha. So let me ask you this: How then can we put these passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament together to formulate a better understanding of Colossians, and more specifically, in light of thinking about creation? How do we put those old ones with the new ones? And what, what does it help us to understand theologically? Yeah, well, so part of what Paul's getting across in Colossians is, again, that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Um, going back to fullness for a little bit, that he's fully accomplished all the work that uh, is required for new creation to eventually come. That won't come until the end, where he, when the kingdom fully comes on earth, just as it is in heaven. But, um, but in the meantime, uh, he's give every, because he's given us everything that we need to live the Christian life, um, when we come to him, uh, we, have a, we are made new. We have a new self. Paul, Paul talks about this elsewhere, you know, um, that uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. So again, um, in Colossians chapter 3, uh, again, uh, that we're to, to seek things where Christ is, that we're to set our mind on heavenly things, put away uh, the dead things that we used to, we used to walk with, um, and instead put on this, this new life. Um, does that answer the question? I think so. Okay. This is more just, more just discussion. Yeah. I want to, uh, there's, there's a verse, Colossians 2, uh, 14, and I think it, it does highlight some uh, gospel truths. 
Uh, so Colossians 2.14, right, says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And I think kind of what you've been talking about is that when we put what's going on in the Old Testament together and we put it with a verse like this, even just our, under, our basic understanding of the gospel, is that it, it can highlight uh, some truths for us and deepen our understanding of what's going on in this verse when we understand what's happening in the Old Testament. Yeah, so new creation means there's a new way to approach God, right? Whenever right. God's kingdoms come to earth, like the they expected, the Old Testament Jews expected, although they never expected a crucified Messiah or, or God to be incarnate as a Messiah, but they expected Messiah to come and do away with injustices, uh, rule well, and then God's spirit to be poured out so that the law is written on everybody's heart. Um, and again, you know, that's what Christ accomplishes on the cross. So we put away the old way of approaching God, which may be through, um, it's part of the story, it's not the full story, but partially through keeping these regulations and laws, you know, but instead, um, and, and those were kept so that you could be reminded of who God is and how you needed to live, right? But now we have Jesus Christ who is the fulfillment of the law. He completes the law. He shows us perfectly who we are supposed to be and this new kingdom life um, and, and and fully who we're supposed to be in this new kingdom life. So we're able to put away all those regulations now and the spirit-filled age has come where when we come to know Christ, he uh, gives us, uh, he makes us a new creation or uh, part of what God's doing a new creation spiritually uh, by giving us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee, you know, that he has accomplished everything. And so through, through Christ, uh, by His grace, we're able to live a new life. We're able to approach God in a new way, not the Old Testament way, but because it's a new creation and a new way, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ and the work that He's done. So, gotcha. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. I just want to add something. This is not in my notes, but it reminds me of something that our friend, our Presbyterian friend uh, Joel Beakey said, which is. Creation is fascinating because the Lord makes something out of nothing, uh, but becoming a new creation is even more fascinating because He takes what's broken and makes it new. Right, and and you know I think that part of you know this is sort of getting away from the discussion, but part of the law is like a our keeping Old Testament law was a daily reminder that things are broken, that you're broken, that things are broken, and that you are looking forward to this great. Uh, not not fix. It's not just a fix, but a remaking of a complete remaking of the object. You know, you're looking through forward to a complete remaking of God's kingdom through through the the Messiah and the and the outpouring of the Spirit and and this complete remaking. Yeah, has been done through through Christ. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the implications in a second. I want to interject, and this is just a question I want to ask you regarding this workshop. Okay. Um, do any of these motifs and illusions, when you consider, I mean, we talk about five, uh, five main kind of motifs and illusions in Colossians. Do any of them stand out to you as greater than another? Or, and maybe the, the better way to ask this, is are, are there certain ones that are easier to see, perhaps as a baby Christian approaching God's word, as opposed to a scholar? You know, who, who can pick these five up real quick and run? Yeah, I, I don't know if any of them are necessarily easier to see. I think that probably new creation is. Uh, that creation is broken, and uh, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, 
that your part, uh, that you, you personally are remade. But I think that it's um, at least took me a while to figure out that um, it's not just that I have been remade, but that through Christ, God has, um, has begun remaking the world completely. Um, and that's not going to ever be fully accomplished until he returns. But, you know, so, so I, I guess the way that I would put it is, you know, I grew up knowing that I had a, uh, that salvation was my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And so I was saved. But um, it did take a while for me to figure out that new creation isn't just about my own salvation, but that God's gifted me to live and act in such a way so I can model uh, what future new creation, what heaven is going to be like here on earth. And again, I'll go back to the Lord's Prayer that we're supposed to pray, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, we've all have the capability to, I want to stay away from, I'm not saying that we can bring the kingdom, right? That's a whole nother, I think that's a massive theological error, but we can display the kingdom uh, through, through how we live and work you know, through every facet of our being. It's not just about, hey, I'm saved because I have, I'm a new creation and that's just my salvation experience, right? Right. So I think that new creation in a way is easy to pick up on, probably the easiest to pick up up on that you've been made new. Right. But there's also this growing aspect of it that um, how do I live that out? Right. Yeah. So thinking about these five illusions, uh, Colossians is short. It's four chapters. Mm-hmm. Well, at least in our English translation, it's broken into four chapters. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not uh, antagonizingly long to read. No. Why does Paul concern himself including all of these illusions? Because that's just the message of the gospel. I mean, I think that when he's talking to again, I think that it's pretty clear that Paul is talking to. Um, Jewish opponents that should know the Old Testament. It's sort of like whenever he has the encounter with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, and uh, you know uh, he tells Nicodemus, uh, "How is it that you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know this?" Right. And so um, I think that Paul here is is just saying, "Hey, you are Jews. Uh, you shouldn't. You should at least get this." Right. And Jews who have said that they accepted the uh, Jesus Christ as Messiah and the Spirit-filled life to be lived through Him. And Paul's just reminding them, like, look, I've taught you this. Uh, this is all throughout the Old Testament. It's all tied together. And I think that's important. Uh, he's trying to get across to them that this is—I think he does this over and over in all his letters. He's trying to get across to them that uh, the Old Testament, New Testament, that's one continuous story. And that's especially important if you're, if you're Jewish— Right, that it's one continuous story, but that at the same time there's this new way to approach God because Messiah has come, and that's why he talks about why do you keep? Uh, it's not just the old sin nature that he wants them to get away from, but again they keep on uh, wanting to uh, do things that are no longer required. You know, keeping holidays and festivals and feasts and wanting to be circumcised and. You know, he's trying to, to say, like, no, that's a false gospel, and it shows that you don't really believe that Christ is um, the firstborn of this new creation, and you're not really living this new creation life, 
right? You're not, and we'd say gospel probably, and that's an aspect of it, but you're not living out this gospel life, right? right. You've been given the Holy Spirit. So I, to them, I think it seems like a lot to us because we don't know our Old Testament right. very well. And because the lens through which we tend to read the New Testament, which is like what Christ has done for me, right. not, not read the Bible as one biblical story, but I honestly think that um, obviously it was difficult for them to, for them still to grasp fully. But I, honestly, I think that these themes were just part of their uh, part of their religious life already. He's just reminding them how they play out through what Christ has done. Right. So I don't know that it was a lot to his first readers. Right. Yeah. So, so perhaps just a reminder, like, hey, yeah, it's believer, the, you are new. It's the Yoda thing. We have to unlearn what we have learned, right? So, <laughs> and and it's harder for us because we're removed uh, from, uh, you know, we're not Jews that are converted, right? Like, we almost have to learn Judaism so that we understand the full implications of what Christ has done through the gospel. You know, not you not to be a Christian. You just need the gospel, but. Um, but we almost have to learn Judaism and relearn the Old Testament. Instead, instead of realizing that in, in, in Jewish culture, if you were like a dedicated Jew, the Old Testament, again, was just part of the way that you spoke, and it was just part of the rhythm of your life. Right. Right. All these festivals all the time, all these, you know, when you prayed, when you didn't pray. It was just part of the rhythm of your life. And so I think it seems like a lot to us, but I don't know that it would have been a lot to his original readers. Right. So... So what, when we look at this idea of new creation in Colossians and we hold it against all of this that is in the Old Testament, what do we end up walking away from Colossians uh, thinking that we ought to do? What, what is the main idea or point for my understanding of new creation? Yeah, that you, Paul is saying, is reminding them, you know, we'll just kind of go through it, but he starts off with, um, I want you to grow in full knowledge of Christ um, because Christ is the full revelation of everything that God wants to do or, or, or promised to do for Israel. And because of that, you need to realize that you have been fully equipped to live out this new kingdom life. And, you know, so here's what that looks like. And it looks like, and we need this daily reminder ourselves, but it looks like you put away all that old way of living. You know, you put away your old sinful lifestyle. You put away maybe some of the old ways that, not all of them, but maybe some of the old ways that you used to approach God. And that uh, we are to focus on heavenly, eternal things in everything that we're doing because we're a new, we're part of God's new creation now. We're part of his new people. Um, so we should seek heavenly things and not earthly things. Yeah. And, and, and then he, you know, and then he goes on to talk about how this plays out in the workplace, how this plays out in the home, you know, how yeah. do we show these things? But yeah, we're supposed to have our mind focused on heavenly things, not on our earthly things. Yeah. I want to do, I just want to take a look at two other letters that Paul wrote and you actually referenced, uh, this verse at the beginning, but I just think this is an amazing truth of the gospel, yeah. especially to someone that's been made a new creation. That is Galatians 2.20, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I think that's a pretty well-known passage. And then what you were talking about, just about the implications then, okay, if we're a new creation, uh, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter four, 
Uh, starting at verse 22, and I know this is mid-sentence is where verse 22 is, but 22 to 24, we see, uh, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, I have a moment. I'm going to take a moment. This is a shameless plug. Absolutely. Uh, we have a Bible study in uh, just outside of Fort Myers here in Florida, and I have the privilege of teaching this group uh, weekly. And one of the things I challenge them with weekly when we get to, you know, we get to the end of our, our Bible lesson, uh, and we actually, it comes out of this Ephesians 4 passage, uh, is to put on the new and we link it to whatever passage we've been in, but also it's putting off the old, right? So whatever points we've discussed and things we have been uh, seeing in the text or perhaps things that have uh, risen and convicted us while we've been studying that, our application boils down to those things. Okay, when, when we consider what we know, how do we put off the old and put on the new? So I'm asking you quite practically, how, how does a Christian, how does a believer who is a new creation work at putting off the old self and putting on the new attributes of Christ? What does that look like in their lives? Yeah, well, I think first off, there's some things that he says, um, you know, um, not only there, but not only in Ephesians, but here in Colossians, which is that, uh, you know, you're being renewed by day by day. It talks about new creation, how God is, how Christ is holding everything together. And so just being mindful that um, God already has given you everything you need through Christ. And that is constantly being uh, renewed through, through the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, that's constantly being renewed every day. And so like part of how this works out in my life is just being mindful of God's presence and what he's done through Christ and what he's giving me that I'm part of this uh, new. So I think the first thing is just being mindful of that or being aware of that. And how we do that, again, uh, the secret is there is no secret. I mean, it's what Christians have been doing for centuries. How we do that is we uh, gather together with other believers. Um, we um, spend time together in, in the Word. We spend time alone in the Word. We spend time together in prayer. We spend time alone in prayer. And, you know, I think if we're not careful, this put off all the old things, it is, it is a command. But it's something that Paul in his letter speaks about. Um, you can do this because Christ has done everything, and you can do this because the Holy Spirit is given to you as a guarantee that uh, you're gonna be part of this new creation life. So, you, you know, it's, again, I wish I had like 10 wonderful steps for this, but it's not really. I mean, it's just, it's just being mindfully aware every day of that of what Christ has that he's present of what he's done for you that he's holding everything together in in in, in every facet of your life including I don't really like to say spiritual life I mean I guess that's how I'll put it but spiritual and physical they're just all intertwined because he's holding everything together not only creation but also um, moment by moment holding your ability to live for him together and I think there's just being a mind, being mindful of this, being constantly aware of this, and um, I think that's where uh, you, not to get too far afield, but I think that's 
where um, uh, Adam and Eve went wrong. I mean, they're in a garden where there's everything they could ever want. Uh, they have fully have the presence of God, um, and they sin because they're just like they just get dat- dissatisfied with who God is. They get dissatisfied with who God is and what He's given them. Uh, they cease to be mindful of that and want something more. So it's not that practical, but I just practice. I try to practice things to be mindful, I guess. So. Um, if you want to, I guess I could be a little bit more practical. But like this morning, I, I put on worship music when I drove my kids to school. Right. Um, last night, I prayed with my kids before I put them to bed. Um, uh, I talk with my kids about three blessings they have during the day. And maybe you don't have kids, but you can still uh, uh, write down your blessings or speak them out loud to God, what He's blessed you with that day. You can still pray before you go to bed. You can listen to worship music in the morning. You can spend time in the Word of God. And then you can gather together uh, when you have opportunity with other believers who will uh, encourage you and also just let you know um, lovingly where you're not doing so hot in your in your walk with the Lord. And that's that's the way that Christianity has been practiced for uh, people have grown in Christ for thousands of years. You know, there's no there's no shortcut. There's no secret. So. Right. And I would say, you know, as we think about Colossians, right, it has that phrase to seek the heavenly things. And you talked about that. And I think a lot of that practically is found in that answer you just gave as well, right? How do we seek the heavenly things? It's those things. It's just being diligent, obedient, mindful, cognitive, intentional. Uh, Yeah. But if you have, if you realize that you're, that crisis, if you just realize the fullness, what that means, like. And we probably can't ever get a full grasp of it, but just contemplate that Christ has fully accomplished everything for us to live this new kingdom life. Then you want to, then that's where your enjoyment is. Like you don't have, I don't want to listen to other music while I'm driving my kids around or while some or while I'm driving around, you know, because I'm yeah. enjoying being reminded of the goodness of, of God. So. Yeah. I have one more question. Okay. <clears throat> what then does Colossians warn us uh, is offered by false teachers? Yeah, false teaching is 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 and false ecclesiology and false Christology is that you need something more than Christ and what He's given you to accomplish everything on His behalf. Um, you, you know, so a false teacher, I think, is going to outline. Um, I think you need to be very careful about this, how I word this. But a false teacher sometimes is going to outline, here's 10 ways for you to whatever, and it's psychological, right? There's psychological steps you can take, and it's not um, tied anything to do with what Christ has accomplished for for your behalf. So it becomes a a false claim that they've experienced or received some heavenly wisdom yeah or even just like it talks here earthly you know earthly wisdom yeah like a vain philosophy um you know it's pop psychology it's not spiritual transformation right and those things don't necessarily have to exclude each other but the gospel better be involved in there somehow or else it's not uh good good teaching and you know uh church leadership like are they dependent upon uh, the Holy Spirit moving to grow their church or are they buying into the latest metrics or, you know, I read an article the other day, using AI to grow your church. You know, <laughs> like, uh, it may be helpful 
in some regard, but we're not a business. We're, the church is not a business. It's not a company. Right. And so unless that's really well thought out and the gospel is still primary, then that's what you end up being. You end up being a part of a church that's a, that is trying to drive growth without any movement of God or the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Right. So we need to remember that the church is not so much an organization as it is a living new creation, new created organism. Yeah. 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 And, you know, just don't stray too far from, of course, never stray from scripture, but also don't stray too far, I'd say, from just the basic things, gathering together to worship and pray and study the word and, you know, incorporating those things when, where you can into your daily routine and your daily life. Yeah. Well, all this talk about illusions and motifs over the last several weeks uh, has really driven home the idea that we ought to be students of God's word. We need to uh, know the word. So listener, we have some exciting and good news. While the illusions in Colossians may be wrapped up and over, uh, we are going to take the rest of the season to study through uh, Philippians, another short letter written by the apostle Paul. Thank you, Bowman. You're welcome for being here. You're welcome, bottomly. Giving your <laughs> Jonathan Bowman, giving your insight to us, uh, to our friends that are listening. Uh, we trust you will let the word of Christ dwell in you richly this week. No matter how you are getting this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a comment or review. It really helps us out. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and be sure to check out our other McGregor podcast channels. Just head over to knowthewordpodcast.com for all the details. Thanks for listening.